So if you were here back in 2019 for part one of this series, you might recall that uh, we believe that these miracles do a lot more than just impress people. They're, they're not the, the sort of preaching equivalent of, of balloons outside of a store to draw people in and then you sell them something. That the miracles themselves reveal to us as Christians a lot of what we believe. So they reveal who Jesus is, God. Only God could do these things. They reveal to us what, what God is like, Jesus. <laughs> Only a good God would do these things. That is the doctrine of God. Uh, as recipients of these miracles, do absolutely nothing to deserve them. And in fact, often it is their inability to do anything that precipitates a miracle. Then we get a doctrine of man as well, of our, of our need, of our uh, estate, of uh, who we are and what we are like. They also reveal that God comes looking for us. The initiative is his, and then he saves us by grace. So we have a doctrine of salvation in the miracles. And the people that receive them, they're rescued, they're saved, they're, they're restored, they're healed. Even the dead are raised. And so these miracles provide a kind of prophetic foreshadowing of eternity. We get a doctrine of the end times as well from these miracles. All of this is revealed. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5. Do please pick up your, your Bibles or phones or whatever. And we're in Luke 5 verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here's the scene. Jesus is uh, in this little fishing cove, and they've finished their work for the day, these fishermen. The boats have been drawn up onto the shore and uh, the nets are being cleaned, and they can be stored then overnight or over day, actually. And uh, they're nearly done, exhausted, these guys, are nearly done with their work. The next thing they will do is they'll go home, and they'll go to sleep. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus just got in, randomly into someone's boat. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And this is not the miracle but it is absolutely worthy of note, Simon actually does this. Like, he's about to go home, shut up shop for the day. Some random man gets in his boat, and he obliges. Now, we don't know exactly why Simon does this yet. That's not yet been revealed. But uh, we start to get some hints of, of, of why he might do this. Because it says, Jesus sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So this is a rabbinical gesture. Rabbis sat down to teach. So sitting down was like the pulpit. It was a sort of indication that we're about to hear something, we're about to learn from this man. Uh, you, you have authority. If you sit down, then you are a person with authority to teach. So this is just my first guess of many. I think he obeys because at the very least he respects Jesus. And he probably also likes what it is that Jesus teaches, which verse 1 tells us is the word of God. This is a religious town. Jesus is a religious authority figure. So Simon obeys. What Jesus does not have is fishing authority. He doesn't have any of that. He has authority 
to teach the Word of God, because he's a teacher of the Word of God. He does not have the authority to teach fishermen how to fish. But that is what he does next. Verse 4. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. The, uh, the nets that he's just cleaned. And Simon's reaction is absolutely fascinating. Because first of all, Simon is actually quite respectful. Probably a lot more respectful than I would be. He says, Master. It's a rare word in scripture, Master. I, I think I counted seven. No, I was told seven, I counted five. Um, and, and really, this, this word only comes from the lips of the disciples, mostly usually this one. Uh, master, rare word, epistates, it means overstanderer. It means someone who stands over you. That's what the word means. So he says that this sitting man is somehow standing over him. He has authority that, that goes beyond merely teaching. Quite a strange and powerful word to use. So clearly... There is immense respect for this teacher and uh, the authority that Jesus has on the subject of religion. Coupled next by the gentlest of rebukes on the subject of fish. But we toiled all night and we took nothing, he says. You know, it was well known that in that culture, in that place, that you fished at night. That's what you do. If you fished in the day, if the fish were even there they would see these great big thick heavy nighttime nets and they would just swim away. It would be pointless to fish in the day and uh, they would typically uh, drag these nets in the dark at night, often between two boats. So you've got one boat on its own with nighttime nets that have just been cleaned and a load of fish that are not there. So this is completely pointless. This is a ridiculous instruction on fish to a fisherman from a teacher of the Word of God. And uh, I just want to get into the significance of some of this for a moment, if, if we may. See that word toil? Master, we toiled all night. It's quite a strong word. So actually an important word in Scripture, and, and Jesus, I think, would clearly recognize that the, the sort of inferences of this word toil, uh, toil is a theological term. It's religious language. Peter is responding to an instruction about fish and fishing theologically. So toil takes us all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to chapter 3 of the Bible and to the fall in Genesis, where in response to the sin of the snake, God says to, to Eve and to Adam, that they will now toil. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. This is her curse. This is the curse. The word pain, it also means labor. And of course, it also means toil. It's the same in Hebrew. Pain, labor, toil. It's the same in Greek. Pain, labor, toil. So in toil, in hard work, you shall give birth. Then to Adam, equal curse. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, it is Adam's fault that that parking circle out there looks like it does. <laughs> we spent thousands of dollars on it, and it looks like an absolute state. Adam did that. Feast your eyes. Um, cursed is the ground because of you. Actually, we blame the snake. By implication, also that the sea is cursed, and the sky is cursed. The whole of creation now is sort of burdened by this by this toil, he says, in pain, 
Same exact word, in labor, like giving birth, in toil, shall this low-yield, painful, frustrating work life happen now. You shall eat in toil of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, we know, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. So this word toil, it's very well known. Toil is a theological explanation for nights like this. So Simon's saying, Master, not only is this a ridiculous way to fish, but can't you see what is plain to all of us? This night is cursed. The whole world is cursed. There's nothing we can do about it. We deserve it, and we've been through it before, and it will happen again. And only God himself could do something about this. That's the theology. I just want to get into the physical and the emotional aspect of this as well as, as the theology, if we may. These nets are heavy. Right? They didn't have modern materials. They're made, of, they're made of rope. The boats had to be rowed by hand. The night was long. He basically does an iron man every night for a living. And uh, he's exhausted. He's, he's just worn out from all of this work. And uh, also, not only that, he's worked hard and nothing has happened. So if, if you've ever worked hard on something to no avail, you will know what this feels like, won't you? Have you ever written a paper for school and had the computer crash just at the last minute before saving it? You know, how did that feel? Did you want to cry? Did you want to rage? Did you throw the monitor out of the window? Did you want to give up? Did you want to cheat? I've done the work, so I might, you know, I might as well copy someone else's now. It's not really cheating, is it? It's awful. All of this stuff goes through your head. You know, the denial phase is the worst bit. Maybe it's still there. It isn't. It's toil. Uh, I said last night, uh, have you ever built a thing in Minecraft and had your friend uh, blow it up? I'm guessing, reading the room, you haven't, but um, it is called griefing, and it's very sad. Basically, this is computer Lego. So imagine if, you know, you made a big thing and someone smashed it on the floor. That's how it feels. Have you trained for months for a sporting event and got a cold the night, the night before? Or, you know, shin splints in the third mile of the marathon? Have you, have you made a cake or, or a beautiful ornament or something like that and then just dropped it on the floor just after you finished making it? This is toil. Have you made a sale for commission and at the last hour of the cooling off period the purchaser calls up and says, I've changed my mind. That is toil. Have you done a no-win, no-fee case? Not one and got no fee. That is toil. Have you put diesel in a gas tank? Because that's toil right there. You pay for the diesel, then you pay for the repair, and then you still have to buy the gas. That's toil. <laughs> toil is a universal experience. It's theologically explainable. And it is also theologically a didactic experience. Toil reveals to us that the world is messed up. And toil is something that all children, all students, all grown-ups in every culture, in every era in the world know about because, of course, the whole world is under the curse of toil. This is the doctrine of the fall in the miracle. Have you ever shared a house with a child? Because that is toil. When our kids, amen, when our kids were uh, small, they could see that we were stressed about the state of the house and, uh, of course, also a bit sleep-deprived. So one day they decided to try and help us by cleaning for us 
but instead of using the proper cleaning solutions, they used instead uh, mostly cheese. <laughs> and <laughs> if you've ever experienced the full horror of your brand new television set being given a thorough cream cheese wash, you'll know all about soil and how plasma TVs get hot and cream cheese bakes into a crust. That's soil. You come in, you're like, ah, what have they done? I was cleaning the upstairs because they trashed that. And now look at this. That pink panther, the white guy with the big nose painting the thing blue and the panther's going around painting it pink after toil. You get the picture. So um, I don't know what the implications of this toil are for Simon Peter. But the fishing is not his hobby. It is his living. I, I don't know what it means. Does he, does he go back hungry from a night like this? Does he go back to poverty from a night like this? So all of this exhaustion, all of this frustration, all of this realization that this kind of thing happens and this recognition that only God can do anything about this. And then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets that I just cleaned. This is something we say to the kids all the time. You do not need to understand the rule to obey the rule. You just need to trust the rule giver. Right, you know me. You know I'm not just doing this for fun. Trust me. And I know it makes no sense to you, but trust me. There's some aspect of trust here that's going on. There cannot be an aspect of understanding, I don't think. Verse 6, when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. There's the miracle. So huge they needed help. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So huge is this catch of fish that it sinks two fishing vessels. And the news began to spread. And verse 9 says there's a hullabaloo. Everyone's astonished. They're going wild. Uh, but just forget the crowd for a minute, which you can picture them just going, forget the crowd and zoom in. Verse 8, on Simon himself, this, this lone figure. He fell down. And in verse 8, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Here's the first reveal. Only God can do this. Only God can reverse the curse and turn toil into abundant blessing. And I have no idea if Simon is joining all of the dots yet, uh, reading the, the whole narrative of Scripture. I don't think he's there yet, but clearly Simon knows that, that, that God has done this in some way. And therefore, right now, Simon is standing in the boat on holy ground. This is not the work of a master. This is the work of the Lord. And uh, lots of people react this way in the Old Testament when they get a reveal like this. So Abraham, he does this. Job does this. The first reading we had there from the Old Testament, Isaiah or Isaiah, he does this as well. He sees the holiness of God when the power and the perfection and the holiness of God is revealed to him. The first thing that prophet does is he says, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am in trouble. I am on holy ground. If you get close to God, you just walk up to him, you die. You've seen Indiana Jones, right? Your face comes off. Like, this is, this is, he's in the presence of God. And so, as the presence of God and the holiness of God is revealed to him, at the same time, the unholiness of himself is revealed to him as well. He sees this disconnect between who God is and who he is. He sees that he is in trouble. His response, of course, is fear. Fear of exposure. 
fear of judgment, fear of death. Leave me now, please, before I die. From the purity of your presence, I don't belong here. And you know, do you, if you knew the kind of man I was, Jesus, you, you would not be here. Now look really carefully at this. Uh, do you see that Jesus does not deny any of this? He doesn't say, well, I, no, I'm, I'm not God. Let, let's not get carried away here. He doesn't say, oh, you're not that bad. You know, let's, let's just bring in the extremes a little bit, shall we? Like, I'm not that perfect, you're not that bad. You know, you know I'm a bit better than you, mate, but, you know, we're kind of on adjacent pages. He doesn't bring in the boundaries and say, do not be ridiculous. He says, do not be afraid. Grace has come to you. Here's the next reveal. It's not judgment that I'm bringing for you. It's grace. I will put you soon to abundant work. Something fruitful. From now on, he says, you will be catching men. Taking the image of fish. He starts to apply this to something new. And there's a twist the fish in those boats are now dead. This word catching means to take alive. Not actually a fishing word, it's a military word. It's a word that they used when they captured a prisoner on a battlefield and they took them alive and kept them alive. And, you know, you pluck a fish up out of the water and it flaps around a little bit, it gasps, and then it dies. But you pluck a person up out of the sin of their a state, and you bring them up into grace and they come alive. This is a reverse of the curse. This is a strange kind of fishing. From now on, he says, you will be, future tense, middle voice. That means me and you, Jesus, we're going to do this thing together. You will be catching, active voice, continual presence. It will continue to characterize who you are and what you do. You will be being catching again and again and again. Until the end, men alive. Now that reveals something else. We must be worth it. We must be worth catching. If you captured someone on a battlefield at this time and you kept them alive, what it meant is they had value to you. Right? You just catch some spearman <coughs> off with the head because he's dangerous. You catch a nobleman or something like that. You, you take them back and you ransom them and you make some money out of him. In some way, the fact that we're being captured alive means that we have a value. That Jesus has a use for you. So the miracle, which we spent four seconds talking about, it, it reveals all of these things to us, all of this doctrine. The miracle reveals to us the Many of them do. Who Jesus is, what God is like, who we are, what we are like. It reveals the hopelessness of our condition. It reveals God's plan to turn it around. It reveals that God uses people who don't deserve to be used to rescue a people who don't deserve to be rescued through absolutely no work of our own, but only through grace. Because whatever kind of swamp you swam here in today, he values you and wishes to pull you up and out of it. You are valuable. He wishes to adopt you into nobility. That is the gospel. So 
If you do not yet know Jesus, and, and my hope would, of course, be in a weekend of preaching that several people do not yet know Jesus, this is a great place to come and find out about him. The reveal for you is that God is coming for you, and you're worth it. And if you do know Jesus, then the last reveal is this, the, the abundance of this jackpot, this huge wealth of fish, this miraculous haul, only points to something bigger. And Peter, Simon Peter, he sees this so clearly that actually he left it behind. They left everything, it says, and followed him. There's the call. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in these uh, stories that many of us have just heard since childhood and seem so simple, you just reveal so many powerful things, and thank you for doing that. So, Lord Jesus, as we, as we walk through this series of miracles, I pray that you would reveal to us more and more of who you are and more and more of, of who we are and how we need you. But, Lord, uh, thank you that you do not leave us in despair, but that you, you reveal to us our, our, our value and you, you rescue us from, from this trap that we are in and you turn toil into abundance and you deploy us in this uh, fishing expedition. Send us out, God, today from this place, we pray, to... To, to share this news that brings people alive. In the name of Jesus, amen.